If you obsess about the next and miss what you're supposed to be, learn, do in the now, then you ultimately could sacrifice that next. So know your role is clarity. We talked about that. This is accept your role. I'm going to be grateful for this role. I got to crush this role. I have got to crush this role. And I'm going to do it by being grateful for this role. And now that leads me to the third action, and that is maximize your role. This is effort. This is above and beyond what's expected. It's above and beyond what they say is a win. It's just, and it's not focusing on doing someone else's job. It's being a total team player, delivering more results than they expected, assisting wherever you can, becoming so valuable on your team and to your organization that they can't help but promote you. So those are the three actions to take. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles. We've been talking a lot lately about the great resignation, or rather, it's now been termed as the great reshuffling. It's not that people are simply resigning from their jobs and doing nothing. Most of them are going somewhere that's hopefully better. But if you're like most of the 55% of Americans who are looking for a new job, it's possible that you're not entirely sure what you're looking for. Or if you do know what you're looking for, you may not fully know what it'll take to get there. If you're not fully satisfied with your job today, then you likely want a more rewarding career. But a rewarding career doesn't just happen. It's built step by step, opportunity by opportunity, decision by decision. It takes a lot of intentionality to know the right steps to take, the right opportunities to pursue, and the right decisions to make. And no matter where someone is in their career, it can leave them with a lot of questions on how they can really excel at each new level. How do you get clear on understanding the work you were called to do? How do you develop and manage the right relationships in your career? How do you create a personal brand and reputation that has employers seeking you before you're even seeking them? How do you add value to your organizations and teams? How do you lead and influence others? It's almost like you need a field manual to know exactly how to navigate these things in order to excel in your career. And that's why I'm so happy to talk with Ken Coleman this week. Ken holds the title as America's Career Coach. He's the number one national best-selling author of The Proximity Principle, and he's the nationally syndicated radio host of The Ken Coleman Show that's heard on over 70 stations, Sirius XM, and his podcast, where he helps listeners discover what they were born to do while providing practical steps to make their dream job a reality. And Ken's latest book is out this week, From Paycheck to Purpose, The Clear Path to Doing Work You Love. Not only does Ken show how intentional, focused work over time lead to career success, he also lays out the seven stages for discovering and doing the work you were born to do so you can have career 
significance. So here it is. Here's my interview with Ken Coleman. Hey, Ken, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Well, I'm thrilled to be with you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, this is exciting. From Paycheck to Purpose, this is your third book, right? That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations on it. I was telling uh, Damon earlier, I had read through it. I laughed a handful of times. I think I teared up at least a couple. Oh, that's good. Well, I appreciate that very much. So I'm curious to understand, you know, from the need for writing this book, because I'd say over at least the past 40 plus years, how have most people been taught to go about finding and developing their career in the U.S.? And is what they've been taught the right way? Well, I'll answer those out of order. The answer is no, they've not been taught the right way. And what they have been taught is get a safe job, safe degree in order to get the safe job. And so it's just about do the best you can to get the best paying job with the best health insurance benefits and 401k plan so that you can take care of your basic needs, save enough to make some memories, and then just exit life. That really is the entire philosophy that we've been taught about work, that work is something we do to live, as opposed to teaching people that we were created to work, that there is a contribution that every person on the planet was created to make. And Your work is not something that is separate from who you are. It's not all that you are, but it is a huge portion of who you are because you were created to work. So, you know, that therein lies the problem as to how the marketing message has taken hold that college is the only way to success. And normally I would have probably followed up and asked, well, so what happens when people start to realize that they've been going down this safe road all these years and then kind of wake up and realize that they are here for something more? But I think we've already started seeing that this year with the great resignation. Well, there's no question about it. The amount of people that are considering changing lanes professionally as we sit here today recording Wall Street Journal just put out an article about how many men are dropping out of college and not pursuing a college degree. And the reason is because people are realizing that I don't have to have the degree to do what I want to do. And it's not limiting my success. And so all of a sudden, the marketing message that college is the only way to a happy, successful life is crumbling. And as a result, people are deciding to you know, do what will actually help them do what they want to do. And then, you know, as you addressed in the question, uh, you know, you have a lot of people that are, that are just saying, you know, um, I, I was forced to change my life dramatically by COVID. And in dealing with that change, I realized, huh, you know, change isn't going to kill me. And so now they're looking at change in their professional lives because people who, who were normally just really reticent to change. And most people are afraid of change because it, it's about the unknown. Right. Uh, COVID forced that on us. So I think you have more people that are just willing to change because they've just been through a seismic shift in their life. So the professional change is just an extension of that. And that makes a lot of sense, I think. So looking back and recognizing if they were in late 2019, early 2020, kind of questioning their career, 
and say like, you know, is this really what I want to be doing? And then COVID hits in the middle of a global pandemic, most everyone's lives completely upended. Now, I guess they're saying, you know what? I was kind of afraid of that big of a change, but I realized that I just went through something even bigger so I can do this. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, once you overcome a fear, now it's not fearful anymore. You know, it's kind of there, but it doesn't make me a fearful person. The fear throws its head up, but I'm going, nah, it's not there. Let me give you an example. First time your kid rides a roller coaster that they were previously afraid to ride, or maybe the first time they ever ride one, yeah, there's all this fear there. Then once they ride it and they get off the ride, they're like, okay, let's do that again. Or the next year when they come back, that fear kind of pokes its head up again, but they go, oh, I've done this before. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so now you've got so many people that are leaving their employers, so many people changing lanes. I'm venturing to think that most of them don't really know how to go about changing their lanes, how to go about getting to that purposeful work, that dream job role, that work they love. And you've laid out a fairly simple path to getting there through seven different stages. Talk to me about the stages. Yeah, well, they're very understandable, uh, very simple to grasp. Number one is get clear. I need to be clear on what it is I want to do and why I want to do it. Number two, stage two, is get qualified. Well, now that I know what I want to do and why I want to do it, how do I actually get the ticket to get in, right? And so that leads you to uh, stage three, which is get connected. Once I'm qualified, now it's all about connections, which bring me opportunities. And I wrote a deep dive book on getting connected called The Proximity Principle, as you know, on the art of connecting. Stage four is get started. When opportunities knock on my door, and they will, Now I'm going to choose the one I think is the best opportunity, the right rung on the ladder. And so I get started. Now, once I'm in, it's all about moving up the ladder and that's get promoted at stage five. And then we will spend most of our time professionally in stage five, getting promoted, climbing, if you will. And eventually we're going to step into that dream job at stage six. And then what? Well, we've been going up. Our view has been looking up for our entire professional career. And when we reach that pinnacle, that professional pinnacle, that dream job, now the view changes, we're looking out. So now it becomes about expanding the dream. It's all about legacy. And so that's the final stage. And you're really in stage six and seven uh, at the same time. And that is give yourself away. So when I'm in the dream job, I'm making enough money. So it's not about income, it's about impact. And everybody wants to make a difference. Everybody longs to have impactful work that connects directly to their values. So when I'm in that seventh stage, it's really, in some ways, you're going to repeat the seven stages as you continue to expand the dream, expand the vision, and leave a legacy. And I think it's possible, because this is what happened to me in my career, I found myself working towards a dream job being in that dream job role, loving the impact that I got to make, and then recognizing there was a new dream. And then so so kind of going through those steps again, okay, now what do I have to do to get to that next dream? Recognizing previous dream job was work that I loved, working for people that I love getting to work for, and loving the people that I got to work with, just realizing there was a new dream. Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole process is that, you know, 
uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, when he gets to the top of uh, Mount Everest, the first human being to scale it, yeah. um, after he's taking in a view that no one in the world has ever seen before, his Sherpa partner recorded for history that he, uh, not too long after being on top, he found another mountain range and pointed it out and said, that's the one we're climbing next. That's just who we are as humans. That's the human condition. Uh, we are creatures of progress. Yeah. Yeah. Progress and growth too, I think. Well, well there is no progress without growth, right? So you true. Know, if, yeah. if we're making any kind of progress, that means that we are growing in multiple ways in order to actually make the progress. There you go. All right. Well, I want to jump into some of those steps a little bit deeper here. And one of the biggest themes that I've been discussing with a lot of people this year is around clarity. You know, I think clarity has to be one of those prerequisites for being able to move forward in most anything. So that's part of your first step, get clear, you know, having clarity. What are the things someone would need to focus on and answer in order to have clarity in their dream job path? Yeah, well, there's three clarifying questions that will allow anybody to be clear on who they are and discover what it is that they were born to do. The first question is, what do I do best? So this is talent. Every human being is born with talent. And then we sharpen those talents into skills. So the skills that we all know about are hard skills. So something of a technical nature, and I don't mean technology, but I can, uh, this is a tangible skill. And then there are people skills that are called soft skills. So what do I do best? We got to ask that question. I mean, where am I the most talented? This has come easy for me. Uh, I watch other people struggle in this area and it's effortless for me. People compliment me in these areas. We all know if we can really dig in and be introspective and talk to those who know us well and help us see, see ourselves as the way the world sees us, we can determine what we do best. Second question is, what work do I love to do? Now, again, we talked about this earlier, but this is it, it requires that you look at work as something that you can love. You know, acknowledge this. Some people aren't there. They have such a distorted view of work, whether it's what the environment was when they grew up and they heard their grandparents talk about it this way or their parents, or they've just never seen any kind of enjoyment around work. But we have to first assume, and by the way, that, that is the right assumption, you can love your work and people do love the work just for the task itself. So what work do I love to do? It gives me high emotion and high devotion. What I mean by that is when I think about it and when I engage in it, I'm really excited about it. And then I devote a lot of time and energy to it as well. That's high emotion, high devotion. Then the third question is, what results do I want to contribute to the world through my work? So every job produces some type of result. And so when we ask ourselves, well, it's not just the work I love, but what are the results of the work that I want to put out there? And we created an assessment tool, the Get Clear Career Assessment, that is the tool in stage one of the seven stages. Stage one is Get Clear. And it walks people through a 15-minute online assessment, uh, walks them through the questions that will allow them to see themselves uh, many times the way they've never seen themselves before. A great conversation starter, a great clarifier and so when you know what you do best, your talent, you now go, oh, these are the tools. I will use these talents as tools to perform the work that I really, really enjoy. Now, where true alignment comes in, purposeful alignment, is when I am using what I do best, my talent, to do work I love, passion, to produce results that matter deeply, connect deeply to me, 
mission. And so there are six intrinsic motivators we know from psychology. And so I've formulated those into this assessment. So you go, why do I work? I am driven by this result. I'm driven by this. You know, I'm driven by this. This is what I am driven by. You know, people talk all the time in leadership circles. Oh, how do you motivate your people? Well, you can't motivate anybody. You got to find out what motivates them. You can't right. motivate them. That's extrinsic motivation. As a parent, I motivate my kids all the time. If they don't clean the room, they don't get to play video games or they don't get to go to a friend's house. That's extrinsic motivation. We all have internal intrinsic motivation. And when we begin to see work that way, wait a second. It's not just the work that I love. And it, well, let's talk about somebody who's a craftsman with their hands. It's the result of the work that really comes in together with the work itself. And so those are the three clarifying questions. What do I do best, talent? What work do I love to do, passion? What results matter deeply to me, mission? When you're in alignment, this is what it looks like and sounds like. I was created to use what I do best, to do work I love, to produce results that matter to me. And when someone is in that situation, what I call the sweet spot, they are in alignment and there's multiple jobs, multiple career paths, even multiple dream jobs. And people will look at you and marvel at you and say, you were born for that. And they are right. Yeah. And I think when you're in what you call the sweet spot, that's when, yes, it's work, but it doesn't feel like work in that traditional sense that everyone has that, that negative view of work. It doesn't feel like work. No. You, yeah. There's a, I think he's Romanian or Hungarian world renowned psychologist did a Ted talk on this idea of flow. And his name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And he did all this research, 30 years of research. And he basically compares that feeling that you have when you're in that, uh, what he calls flow uh, to that of ecstasy. And ecstasy has been obviously kind of, you know, co-opted by the drug ecstasy, which takes you to this euphoric type feeling. Uh, and then it has obviously a sexual connotation, but it is that euphoric feeling that he's talking about. And for anybody who's ever experienced what I'm talking about, when you use it, you do best to do work you love to produce the results that matter. It is such a euphoric feeling. It uh, You will work your butt off, but yes, it won't feel like this four-letter word connotation that work has been given. Oh, yeah. And I've been there. I've been in that position and had that euphoric feeling. I, I didn't realize it was euphoria at the time, but it's being able to say and like look down at what you're doing, just kind of like take a moment and say, I love what's going on right now. Like this work that I'm doing, this is where my heart soars. At the same time, recognizing, man, I have put in so many hours this week and I still feel energized. If this was a different job, I would not feel the way that I'm feeling right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then in one of your next stages, you talk about getting qualified and that comes after, you know, being clear, like, how do you get qualified? Like, how do you learn the tools of the trade? How do you get the right education? So how can someone go about getting qualified for their dream job if they're past what would be considered like the normal educational age? Like what if they're in their forties or fifties or even older? Yeah, well, I, you know, these questions on how to get qualified really apply to anybody. It really doesn't matter how old you are, but you know, there are times where, you know, where I, I, you know, I've had callers on the Ken Coleman show that are in their forties 
and they are going to have to go get a degree if they want to do counseling or they're going to be a nurse or, you know, or excuse me, not a nurse, a PA or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, it depends on what you're going after. Again, I'm not anti-college degree, but what I teach is that if it's not the only way to do what you want to do, or it's not the best way, then don't do it. But to answer your question, how does one come up with a plan to get qualified? There are four questions we unpack in the book. The first one is the education question. What do I need to learn? Now, again, I just touched on this, but I want to clarify. What do I need to learn? The education question does not need to automatically assume a degree. Could be an associate's. It may have to be a four-year degree. Might need to be, you know, graduate level, master's or doctorate. However, don't assume that. Uh, It could be as much as just some online certification or some in-person training and in-certification. What do I need to learn? What is the basic rudimentary educational qualification that I'm going to need to get in? That leads to the second question, and that is the experience question. What do I need to do? I can't tell you how many times I'll get people calling the Ken Coleman show and they'll say, Ken, I'm really frustrated. I need your help. I've been applying for all these positions to get in to do what I want to do. And they keep telling me I need experience. But how am I going to get experience if they won't hire me? And it's like, you're applying for something that clearly somebody along the way got experience for to do. And there's clearly a place to get experience. Go do that. You're applying too high up the ladder. It's just common sense. But we as humans kind of go, well, I want to do this. And so if I get in, they'll train me. Well, yes, sometimes. But when someone is saying, this is a hard and fast requirement on experience, then you've got to be able to maturely say, all right, this is what I need to do. I had to go figure out a way to get this experience so that I can go ultimately where I want to go. At least of the third question, and that is how much is this going to cost? So once I know the first two, what do I need to learn and what do I need to do? Well, now I can assess what's it going to cost me with my money. You know, and if I got to sacrifice or I got to work harder, I got to save, what's the financial cost to actually be able to afford to go get qualified? All right. Now, based on our financial reality, that leads to the answer to the fourth question, which is how long is this going to take? And so those last two questions are the economic question, what's it going to cost? And the expectation question, how long is it going to take? And when we just walk through those four simple questions, Matt, what happens is we get the answers to where we can put a plan together. And this is the key. The number one fear that I believe that I see in this pursuit of purpose is the fear of the unknown. And so to eliminate or to, you'll never eliminate the fear but to overcome the fear of the unknown, we got to have answers. Right. And so when we get these answers, we go, oh, okay, this is what I need to learn. And I'm going to go do my research and find out which is the cheapest option there. And I know how much that costs. And here's how much I got to save based on my financial reality. Now, this is how long it's going to take me to save up or to cash flow my way through it. And so now I have the answer to it's going to take me 18, 24, 36 months. Those four questions, what do I need to learn? What do I need to do? How much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? Those questions reveal the answers so that you can formulate a plan. And then we're not so scared because there's not this mystical, mythical, unknown journey with monsters everywhere. Once you get all the understanding from getting qualified, all the understanding to those answers, all the lines in the sand are drawn, so to speak. 
And it's not just some randomly moving line. That's right. But now the last question that you talked about, how long is this going to take? I'm curious how many people, I guess, either discount themselves or how many people fall out of the process once they realize that it could actually take longer than they want it to take. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people is the answer. I mean, I think life is littered with people that they were right on the edge of the field, but it was going to take too long for them to get in and play. And so they just went back to the bleachers or they took their ball and went home. You know, I think if you go out on the street of any major city in America and you ask people, hey, if you knew you could get your dream job, but you had to do whatever it takes to get there, would you do it? And I think most people would say yes. But if you did a follow-up question and said, but are you willing to wait as long as it takes? I think the answer is going to be far fewer yeses. And that's just the nature of our humanness. We're not patient. Uh, We want everything now. And I think at some point, there are millions and millions and millions of people who know exactly what they want to do. They have a pretty good idea or a really clear idea of how to get there, but they're not willing to wait. They're not willing to stake out on the journey and do what it takes to make it. They just won't. They'd rather sacrifice purpose for convenience. Is there anything that they can do to improve their patients? Um, yeah, the only way to improve patience is to bolster persistence. Hmm. So, you know, I'm sure some monk somewhere, some psychologist would have a more scientific answer or a more spiritual answer than this. But I actually don't, I don't think that you can will yourself to be more patient outside of focusing on the long-term objective and just refusing to stop. Like I am on this mountain. I'm supposed to get to the top. No matter how long it takes, I'm going to get there. And so I'm going to keep my why in front of me and I'm not going to lose sight of it. And I'm just going to keep showing up. I don't know any other way. So, I mean, the will is strong enough to summon patience, but patience doesn't exist outside of persistence. They've got to exist together. So I get up, I go after it. And if it doesn't happen today, I get up and go after it tomorrow. If it doesn't happen the next day, I get up and I go after it and I don't stop. And it's, I've got to persist. I've got to keep climbing. So it's the focus on the climb that to me drags patience along with it. But absent of getting up and going after it, you're not going to do it. You know, for instance, if you've ever had to wait in a waiting room without a cell phone in today's world or a magazine, or a TV, you just had to sit and wait. It's excruciating. And and what happens when you're in that environment, Matt? You just start getting down. Negative, negative thoughts. More impatient and sometimes I, I think even entitled. Why am I having to wait? Sure, all the things. But at its core, what happens is when we are just sitting there and all we can focus on is being patient, it becomes excruciating, becomes even harder, takes longer, all the things. As opposed to if I've got something and I'm waiting and I'm going to watch a movie while I'm waiting or I'm distracted is the point I'm making. Then I'm able to be more patient. So the activity of showing up and chopping wood and doing what you're supposed to do, connecting with your and getting busy and staying busy on the right things, it is easier to be patient. But if I was just sitting around every day 
waiting for this book to release. It drive me bananas, but I'm not. I mean, I'm every day. I'm coming in. We're developing new stuff. You know, it's like we're doing, 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 doing. We're doing the right things for the right reasons. And so it is easier to have patience with the process when you're engaged in the process. And I think it really does help. Like this is where having that clarity comes in. Having that clarity is what can remind you of your why that you can have front and center as a reminder. Because if you only focus on just talent or just passion or just mission results, just one of those three, it's like kind of, sort of getting clear on it. And then that can make you really impatient without having the full knowledge, the full clarity of where you're wanting to get. That's exactly right. It's why you have to continually have your eyes on the prize, totally focus forward, because you're going to have times of great discouragement. You're going to have times of great distraction. And so you got to know what you're looking at and, and know why you're looking at it. And then you can get your eyes back on and you stay on track. Yeah, there you go. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. As a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. And uh, it sounds like you've also got an example, you know, even beyond just your book, sounds like you've got an example of uh, patients and a project you have at home restoring your Carmen Ghia. Yeah. So instead of just going out and getting a brand new car, you're actually putting in the long work and time to actually restore it. Yeah. I mean, anything that you want to do that that is worthwhile is going to have, you know, those seasons of great progress and then seasons where you're going to have to exhibit some patience, whether it's building a home for the first time or anytime you build a home or losing a lot of weight or, you know, changing other habits in your life, getting through a health thing. You know, I mean, I think I'm a big football fan. My boys play football. You know, you know, you get injured and injuries are part of the deal. Mm, and, you know, yeah. here you are, this warrior on one play and the next play, you're uh, relegated to six months or more of, of rehab painfully slow, uh, mentally and emotionally difficult rehab, you know, restoring an old car, same thing. I mean, you know what you want it to look like. 
I've got the vision for it. Um, but there's a lot of little stuff you got to deal with. It takes time and patience and money and all the things. So, you know, when you have this desired future in your mind, you can't lose sight of it. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen these ads where somebody, they're trying to sell an old car because I'm always looking at old stuff. And uh, they're saying, you know, I started this project. I just ran out of time. I ran out of money. And I always just shake my head and I go, no, you didn't. You ran out of why. Oh. And when you run out of why, then that's when you quit stuff like that. And, you know, I, I always feel like I wish I could get a hold of these guys and go, no, look, why'd you get, why'd you start this project? Why, why'd you buy it in the first place? Why'd you spend six grand on it? And now you're not willing to spend seven, you know, and you lose sight of the why. And they could give me some really good practical answers. Well, this and, and this, we got health scare right now, or my kids got to go to a private school for this part particular thing. And so that's going to cost me more money. And I just, I won't have the money for a while. And if I'm sitting there with them going, well, yeah, I totally understand. But put that baby in the garage and cover it up and three years from now, let's get back to it. You know, we always have all these reasons as to why we don't pursue our why. And they're legitimate reasons for delay. But I don't think they're legitimate reasons for abandoning your why. And that's why it helps to remember it. And I think that speaks to why, you know, these steps that you lay out, it's not just, you know, choose your own adventure, pick your steps and go. It's no, it's really clear. You've got to start at step one, getting clear and finding your why, and then work on each step sequentially. Otherwise it it could all fall apart. That's exactly right. Again, if you don't have a map, if you don't have a path to where you're going, then, then you're just wandering. And, you know, the seven stages in this book from paycheck to purpose, listen, I developed them based on my own journey, starting broadcasting at 33 with no degree, no no background in it at all, just starting from scratch. And I think people need to understand that absent of a clear path, you're just going to be wandering around. You may never figure out what it is. Who wants to spend their life wandering? I want to spend my life wondering what's next because I know I'm on the right path and I know that I'm doing what I was supposed to be doing. So who knows what adventures lie ahead where I can continue to drive impact and influence people. You know, I come to work wondering every day, what, what's next? What's the next big thing? What's, how can we impact people? I wonder what the best way to do this is. You know, I don't get up every morning wandering, just kind of going, well, not sure. Maybe think about this or I might do this. You know, that's the difference. You know, we were created to be wanderers. That's why we're hardwired with curiosity. Toddlers ask hundreds of questions a day. Nobody teaches them to do that. They just do it. So if we come into this world as wanderers and we become wanderers, something's out of whack. Mm. Yeah, because you you want to you want to focus on wandering right now because if you wander all the way through life, then you'll be on your deathbed wondering what you just did with with your life. Yeah. So the next step in the path is getting connected. And I think there's two types of people. You know, those people that love networking and you'll see them, they're, they're the ones that they'll show up in a room and they'll start almost literally just throwing their business cards out at everyone. And then there's the other people, the other type of person who's kind of just 
sickened of that type of networking and the thought of having to network like that. So based on that, how should people really approach connecting with others? Well, the driver here is value. You want to make someone feel valued and valuable, right? And when we do that, um, that's how we approach people. So the way you do that is, is you're going to approach with humility to connect with folks. Hey, listen, I want to do this. This is why I want to do it. I'm trying to make some connections. I would be so appreciative of any help you could give. You know, people want to help and you've got to know that, but is the way that you ask for help and how you engage in the process of asking for help that makes the difference. And it is humility first, uh, but it is also value, value, value. And you want to treat anybody that you're talking to on this journey uh, that you're asking for a connection or for some advice, wisdom, knowledge, you want them to feel valued. And so when you don't take up too much of their time, you don't do too many asks, you show up with a pencil and paper and you're asking questions and writing everything that you can possibly write down and doing all this with humility and hunger. Humility and hunger are very attractive. And so if you do that, that person is going to feel valuable. There's just something in every human when someone says, hey, I really would love your advice. I'd like to get your insight or input on something. makes us feel pretty good. So you don't have to offer anything tangible. The intangible offer of making them feel valuable is enough. Yeah. I love how you say that everyone wants to feel valued and valuable. And that's not something that I fully comprehended until a few years ago. I always focused on the fact that everyone wanted to be valued. I didn't really realize how much people really love helping other people. And when I moved here to the Nashville area about two years ago, I joined a couple of different networking groups. And these were the groups that were not your typical networking. Like it was really focused on connecting and helping other people. And I was just fascinated by how every time I met somebody, I would leave that meeting with them having introduced me to two other people. And then after a couple of weeks, I had got to the point where I was able to start introducing other people. And so that was a great feeling for me in recognizing that people were immediately helping me. But then I loved being able to recognize that, hey, I can help somebody else too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that we, those of us who need help need to understand is that everybody else uh, who's who's not some sort of you know psychopath? Everybody on the planet wants to feel that uh, sense of accomplishment. That hey, I helped somebody. They walked away excited because I helped them, and that's an incredibly rewarding feeling. So, will you help me? Is the most underrated, underused question in the world. But we'd use it more if we realize that if we just ask the right way with the right spirit, people want to get that high. There's a real high that comes from helping others. All right. So now that we're somewhat in the middle of the journey, getting some sort of momentum, usually it's sort like wherever you are, whatever goal you're focused on. I think, you know, I've heard a number of people talk about this, the messy middle, things can start to get messy. Once you're in this middle, what would you say are some of the obstacles or hardest steps that can happen to people? Well, I think, you know, anytime that you, you know, you're getting started or you're starting something new or you're in the process of trying to get promoted, you're in this really interesting place where it is simultaneously a place of momentum because I'm starting something or I'm stepping up. So get started is stage four and 
get promoted in stage five. So kind of in this middle area, you're making progress. And so it's a place of momentum, but it's also, it's a place of discipline in that the analogy that comes to mind is if you're running a a half marathon uh, or a 10 K or whatever, it's the halfway point of the race where the adrenaline from the start has worn off and the adoring fans and your family and everybody that came to cheer you on. It's like, that's all gone. And the initial adrenaline of that has worn off. And so now we're, this is what we train for. And so we're just out there pounding the pavement and we're smack in the middle of the race. The body's beginning to be weary, all the things. And yet while we're, we've made tremendous progress because we're in the middle of the race, our minds tend to only focus on how much we still have left to do. Even though we've made tremendous progress, we humans tend to forget that. Right. And so we're not, because we're not looking behind, we're looking ahead. And so here the steps get a little heavier. They get a little harder. It's hotter out there. I'm thirstier. My muscles are sore or whatever. And so we're in the middle and it, and we're not focused on how well we've done to this point or how far we've gotten. We're going, Oh my gosh, I got to keep this up for this much longer for this many more miles. That's what takes over in this point. And so the enemies of progress that I write about in the book, I think the big three that really present themselves uh, at the start and at the middle and anytime, honestly, we have a chance to step up is fear, doubt, and pride. Fill in the blank on what you're afraid of. Afraid that I don't have it to make it to this step. I've made it this far, made it to the halfway point. I'm afraid that I'm going to get injured or I'm afraid that, you know, whatever. You just fill in the blank. And then there's doubt, which is the cousin of fear. So they're very different. When I fear something, it's something that's, it's, I, I am afraid that this is going to happen to me. Doubt is, I doubt that I can actually get there or do something. So one happens to me. The other one is a reality that I don't think I can reach. And pride, of course, is, you know, it rears its ugly head in that we don't want to ask for help. We don't want anybody to see that we're starting something new. So we'll kind of isolate, you know, fear, doubt, and pride. Bottom line, they are progress killers. And they're just the enemies of progress. That's why we write about them that specifically in the book. And we unpack all the different fears and all the different doubts and pride that you will confront, at least the major ones. But that's what happens there in that middle area that you're talking about. And that's where you have to press through that. And you you have to confront those things because there is no eliminating them. There's just overcoming them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're always going to be there. You just got to know how to overcome them. Always. Fear and doubt and pride, any other enemy that you want to come up with, they're always going to stick their head up on your shoulder. They're not going to stop. And so knowing how to drown their voice out to, you know, delineate between what they're saying is it true or not? Sometimes our fears are true. Sometimes fear is protecting us. Uh, but many times fear is holding us back. It is. And I'd say I'd say that fear and doubt were those two that used to affect me the most. And I got to a point a few years ago where I got to see fear more like that old friend where I'm happy to see him show up. Because when fear shows up, that means that something big is right around the corner. So it's like, oh, fear, you're here? Awesome. That means I'm going to do something really big. Thanks. Bye-bye. But then pride. Um, I think that's something that that I probably still struggle with today is being able to, or rather not being able to ask for the right help or also not showing 
you know, all the stressful behind the scenes that are going into whatever milestones I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. I mean, look, you're no different than anybody else. All of those exist for all of us. Well, that's good news. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give yourself a break. Right. <laughs> all right. So now once someone's well into their career path, you know, the next steps come from promotions. So what can someone do to ensure that they're promotable? Yeah, I, I I love, love, love talking about this. So there are actions and then there are, so this is what you need to be doing and then what you need to be becoming. So two different chapters in this, into this stage. We have two chapters for each stage in the book. And I love, love, love this. Um, the actions, the three actions that everybody needs to take to be promoted are know your role, accept your role, maximize your role. I mean, I could teach a whole talk on this. This was something that I learned the hard way, and and yet it is so incredibly helpful when we can go, all right, no matter what I'm doing, when I get in and I'm in the process of getting promoted, so I'm, I'm on one rung of the ladder and I want to get to the next. I've got to always know my role. That's clarity. You would be shocked at how many people aren't clear with their leader and their leader isn't clear with them on what a win looks like. Now, we know the job description. But there's a difference between a job description and then saying, these are the results that you've got to drive in this job to win. So you've got to know, what is my role? I've got to deliver these results. So you got to know your role. That's clarity. Secondly, you got to accept your role. Now, this is an attitude. Mm, yeah. Again, we've talked a lot today about the human condition and how we just crave progress. Well, It'll get us in trouble here if we take a job and we get in and we've been dying just to get in. And within two weeks, we're already focused on the promotion, the next job. That's just not going to end well. It makes patience almost impossible. It's excruciating. It sets us up to where we become bad team members, bad employees, because we're so focused on the next that we miss what we're supposed to do in the now. So if you obsess about the next and miss what you're supposed to be, learn, do in the now, then you ultimately could sacrifice that next. So know your role is clarity. We talked about that. This is accept your role. I'm going to be grateful for this role. I got to crush this role. I have got to crush this role. And I'm going to do it by being grateful for this role. And now that leads me to the third action, and that is maximize your role. This is effort. This is above and beyond what's expected it's above and beyond what they say is a win. It's just, and it's not focusing on doing someone else's job. It's being a total team player, delivering more results than they expected, assisting wherever you can, becoming so valuable on your team and to your organization that they can't help but promote you. So those are the three actions to take. Yeah, I love that. And, and I really like how you talked about having clarity around what a win is, you know, you understanding what that means to win your leadership, telling you what it means to win. And then that way, you know, where that goal line is. And then from there, you know, how to exceed beyond that win. Yeah. Absolutely. See their expectations. Right. And keep in mind, the benefit of that is a lot of leaders don't know how to do this. So if, if you're driving that and working with your leader to outline and measure against what it is to win in this role, it'll help your leader too. 
It'll help your leader promote you because a lot of leaders don't even do this. So they don't even know. They're not measuring. Right. Yeah. Because they don't know what to measure. And when you're focused on that path, when you keep looking forward to what that dream job point is down the road, I agree that that can sometimes trip people up. And I think that that can also be where pride comes into play too, where it says, okay, yes, I got in the door, I'm doing this job, but now I'm really focused on the next job. And I think that prevents people from really focusing on what they should be doing. A few weeks ago, I talked with Christy Wright about her her latest book, Take Back Your Time. And all those lessons are about time management. But one of the questions that she asked, I have been focusing on throughout the entire day, no matter what I've been doing, and that's what's in front of me right now. And so there are times where maybe I'm, I'm doing some minutia type work where like the grunt work that I don't like to do. But if I ask that question, what's in front of me right now, I can more easily focus on getting that specific work done. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that when we know our why, then we realize there are many, many, many times where we've got to do work that's a day job. It's not even close to a dream job, but by doing the day job well, it gets me the opportunity to step to the next day job, the next day job, the next day job to then get to the dream job. So again, it's that maniacal focus on your why. And so, you know, there's an old line uh, from a from a movie called The Great Debaters uh, where the father looks at his son and he says, do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. And that's the that's the mindset there that, that you have to have that, that you and Christy were talking about. When we know what the main thing is, we can make it the main thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then again, like it just speaks to the importance of all those steps, you know, getting clear, clear on what you want to do, getting qualified, understanding what it takes. And then as you're connecting and asking people what it takes to get to that point and what you do when you're at that point, you may find that even in a dream job role, there are some tasks that, you know, are menial, nominal, that may feel like you're above them, but that's still part of that dream job role. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, people ask me this, well, I'm in my sweet spot. Is there still going to be work that I don't enjoy doing? And the answer is yes. But you, you know, I would think a rule of thumb is what I'm telling people is 75 to 80% of your day. You've got to be doing stuff that you absolutely are great at stuff that you love yeah. producing results that matter. Obviously we all got to show up from time to time and be adults and do some things that, you know, aren't necessarily what we love, but they have to be done. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't like flossing my teeth, uh, but it's got to be done. Yeah. I like not having cavities and I like a short visit to the dentist. Therefore, flossing my teeth each day is going to get that. Yeah. All right. So then last thing, you met, someone's made it to their dream job. And you've talked about how this is really not just the end of the journey. This is where your... Um, leaving a legacy where you're looking out and sharing. Talk to me more about that. Well, you know, giving yourself away really speaks to the ultimate drive behind our work. And that is that our creator created us to fill a unique role. We're needed and we must do it. So we're speaking to significance now. This is the word. And I think that, you know, success uh, is the word that everybody throws around as it relates to work. And yet I feel like success is the lowest common denominator. You know, when I'm using what I do best, my talent, I can be successful in my work. I can literally just work 
in an area of talent, not love the work, no passion. Uh, it's not missional that the results of the work don't, there's no personal connection. I can do that and be very successful, make really, really good money. Uh, I think of, uh, you know, a lot of wall street guys that are making seven figures and they're considering suicide. Yeah. So, so success is just one part of the equation. It's the least important. Um, if you are, uh, using your talent, what you do best to do work that you really, really love, you'll be satisfied say, all right, I'm, I'm really talented at numbers and, and, uh, you know, I really enjoy, uh, analytics and analyzing and I enjoy process work and, you know, blah, 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 solving, yada, 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 yada. Okay. So you can say, well, you know, I, I, so I'm a CPA or I'm a, you know, a C-suite, you know, accounting exec or whatever. But if I don't, if I'm not in an organization and I'm not doing that work for an organization that puts out a product or service that deeply connects to me and I don't see the missional value connect to my work. Uh, I'll be satisfied and it's a good life, but significance is that seventh stage to give myself away. I'm driving a result that is way bigger than me. So, you know, if I'm turning companies around and so achievement is my, you know, putting up numbers, major turnaround, you know, putting up the scoreboard, uh, winning championships. And as a part of that, you know, I'm affecting the lives of young men or I'm turning companies around and changing the fortunes of, of, you know, rank and file people or keeping a product or service alive that the public loves, whatever that's achievement. You know, the other is, is, Hey, it's about creation. I want to create things. You know, another is solution. The other is service, you know, I could go on and on and on. The point here is, is that if I don't have a deep abiding connection to the work itself and to the results of the work, then I'll never feel as though I am working for anything other than a paycheck. And so that seventh stage is where I step into the dream job and I've got the talent, the passion, the mission, but now I'm going to work for total legacy. And my work is about others. It's way bigger than me. It's not about paycheck. It's not even about my family's college fund or, or the slush fund or whatever. It's impact in the world. I see the impact that I've always wanted to create. I can see it. And that is giving yourself away. You are working completely for others. And I think it's really fun. It's really enjoyable to be able to see when you're working for others and to see what others are then able to do with that whether it's providing service or even sharing your lessons with others that they then impart and take on to others, because then they can make something even bigger than what you've done to me. Like that's always really enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, again, I think uh, enjoyable is a great word because it's joy. It's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's about impact. I mean, you just can't get away from, we all want to make a contribution. There you go. It's, it's about being significant, having significance. All right, Ken, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for From Paycheck to Purpose, what songs would you include? Um, well, I think you'd have to start off with uh, This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. Oh, nice. Because um, that that, were, that kind of ties to Get Clear. I, I, this is who I am. I'm not going to try to be a knockoff version of anybody else. And then I think you'd have to move into... Uh, 
meant to live by Switchfoot. So now we go, hey, I'm going to remind myself that I am unique and there's there's a cause out there. So I think we'd go right into meant to live. And then I think we'd move into some Tom Petty with running down the dream because we'd be on the path. We're getting after it. And uh, then I think we'd have to uh, to uh, get out the lighters or the cell phone, turn the lights off and crush a little Don't Stop Believing by Journey because uh, I'm going to have to keep that faith, keep the belief as I'm running down the dream. And then I think when we're in stage six and seven, we're looking back and we're reminiscing, no regrets. And I think we're going to listen to I Lived by One Republic. So I think that would be the uh, soundtrack for the seven stages. Nice. Yeah. And the songs go right with that path. I love it. Yeah. Awesome songs. And it is so fun to me to see. I think Don't Stop Believing is the number one song across all my guests. Yeah. Well, it's a great song, man. It is. Excellent. Well, Ken, where can people go to learn more from you? Yeah. Well, I'd love them to go get the book uh, From Paycheck to Purpose. Uh, the Clear Path to Doing Work You Love, as well as the Get Clear Career Assessment. They can get those at a great bundle price at KenColeman.com. All of our social media is there, at Ken Coleman on Instagram, if they want to jump over and engage. Uh, very active over there. And uh, the website's, uh, again, KenColeman.com. And uh, check out the show, The Ken Coleman Show, available on YouTube, Podcast, Sirius XM, and Talk Radio. So love to have people engage. And it's a caller-driven show. So it's one of the few places you can call and uh, I'll coach you right there uh, on the show. And uh, that's a free engagement and many times what people need to get breakthrough. So check us out, KenColeman.com. Excellent. Well, Ken, I'm excited to see what so many people are going to get from this book. Thank you so much for being here. You bet. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Ken Coleman. So go ahead, check out his book, From Paycheck to Purpose. It's out this week. It's going to help you map out and define the steps you need to take to get to the work you were born to do. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Gare Maxwell. Gare's an international keynote speaker, author, and brand strategist. He's the host of the top-rated podcast, The Leadership Standard produced with TEC Canada. And he's the author of Big Little Legends, How Everyday Leaders Build Irresistible Brands. It's out this week, too. And it turns out, Gare loves Van Halen even more than I do. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Gare's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.